Hello and welcome back to season two of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. I'm excited to be back for season two and for this season we are focusing on something slightly different. It's all going to be about inspiring female technology leaders in the insurance and insurtech space. We're going to be exploring their journeys today understanding more about what they love about technology and insurance how they got into the sector in the first place and how we can focus more on diversity around gender and and get more talented females into the sector in the first episode i'm really excited to bring you a brilliant one um, kira conway who is the current chief architect at aviva kira's been with aviva for about six months or so now background in banking and financial services prior to that really really great conversation we talk all things aviva and what they're doing around their transformation removing legacy her journey into getting into technology which is an unusual one how she uh, evolved from being a uh, a typical architect into a leadership figure um, some of the challenges she's faced around being a female in a very heavy male-dominated world, what she thinks we can do to sort this out and uh, improve the diversity around gender in, in, in the insurance space and technology as a whole, and a whole load more. I mean, it was a really, really good conversation, brilliant personality. Kira's got an infectious personality and, uh, and, and comes across brilliantly, uh, and I loved having a chat with her. So without further delay, let's get into our first episode of season two with our first female inspiring technology leader Kira Conway. Kira, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. Really good. Well, look, you I mean first of all, thanks for taking some time out to to speak to us today. Really uh good to have you on and uh and and brilliant that you can spare some time for us. Um I, I always kind of start the podcast with a bit of an intro, but uh, I, I think it's probably better coming from you. So do you want to give uh, the listeners a, a, an intro on kind of who you are, what you're doing, and uh, and we'll kind of start from there? Absolutely. So uh, my name's Kira Conway. Um, I've been working in IT for what feels like 100 years, but is in fact about 20. <laughs> um have really spent most of my career within the banking sector, although I have worked across life and PIP. Um, as well, uh, albeit it did start sort of slightly circuitously in rocket science. And today I'm the group chief architect uh, at Aviva. Really enjoyed my time there. Started about four months ago, and absolutely loving being part of the uh, the Aviva company, and especially with the journey that they're on. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely go into the Aviva because I'm uh, I'm interested to hear what's going on there and uh, and how you got into it. But um, I did notice when I was doing my research that you started at European Space Agency. So let's go right back to the the, the start and uh, and maybe even just before that, how, how did you get into technology initially? Like, were, were you always into it as a kid, or like, um, it, were you uh, what was the what was the journey like into to kind of entry level? When I was younger, I don't think I considered myself as technical, in inverted commas. Uh, we'd always had computers at home. I think tech moved so fast then. My father worked at British Telecom, and I think they were throwing out computers, you know, on an annual basis. So we always had computers at home. We used to get Computer Weekly and pull out the middle insert. For those of a certain age, we'll remember the middle insert in Computer Weekly. And really program our own games, so hours of of typing and hand typing and compiling code. 
That said, it, it never really translated at school. So there wasn't a massive focus on tech in you know, the school that I was in, you know, primary school and high school uh, here in Scotland. I think we did one tech class um, where I remember programming uh, traffic lights. So there really wasn't a focus on it. It wasn't something that genuinely felt like it was a career or that there was a trajectory, but it had always been a hobby. So my first degree was actually in linguistics, uh, so the science of language. So all of my, I suppose, academic work really, uh, all through high school and into university, was really centred around, you know, art, politics, languages, and, and tech for me was a hobby. It was something that I did on the side. I graduated, and I think just at the mercy of the Scot- Scottish system when I was 20, and decided that was far too young to do something, I suppose, that felt permanent. Um, really wanted to yeah. travel um, and did a TEFL cert, moved abroad, and was teaching English in, in France and Spain, and then subsequently in Italy. And when I went to Italy, one of my students said, do you want a job in an internet startup? And so my tech career was born. Um, so started programming really heavily, got really into it. So the practical application of something that, to be honest, for me had always been a hobby and absolutely loved it. Really found my niche. And I think as someone who was struggling with the, what do I want to be when I grow up, it just all clicked into, into place. So from that point, I retrained in IT, went back and, and, and did more uni, um, and my tech career started. Um, I worked, as I said, I worked in a number of different disciplines sort of through the years. So from startup, I think my real first job after that was coding, oh God, coding J.D. Edwards forms, but uh, less said about that, the better, um, and then on to the European Space Agency. So back to Italy. Uh, heading up uh, all the websites across the ESA portfolio. Yeah, amazing. So, so, um, so I didn't know that. So you, so you obviously, so you did your first degree, and then, so at what point? How how far into this kind of startup, kind of new new life of doing technology, did you go back to uh, university and study again? Did you do kind of full full blown three year degree? No, so I did two uh, two years on Giorno, which was an email permission marketing company, very web heavy. Yeah. I actually decided, I, I remember sitting on a, a, a hot balcony uh, in the south of Italy, lovely afternoon in my, uh, I got a phone call from Scotland that they were sponsoring masters, so almost masters conversion courses into IT. And it really sounded like a fantastic opportunity. It really mixed the theoretical with the practical and a big focus on, at the time, which kind of will may give away my age, Oracle 9i. So, uh, yeah, so quite a few years ago. So I went back and did a master's and then subsequently, I think, you know, went into the, formally into the world of IT work, as, as I would term it, and then did courses so then really very slowly over time, got a computer science degree, sort of in my own time, but while I was working. So the master's gave me enough really to launch and, and consolidate a lot of the things that I had, skills that I'd built up as a hobby. And I think as a hobbyist geek, it consolidated that. But I think I, I wanted to learn more and I wanted to know more. And it's something that I've been committed to throughout my career is actually just taking accountability for my own learning. Um, at the moment, I'm I'm doing a Python course, 
So, I mean, even now, like, I still love learning more about tech and, and learning more about new languages and, you know, yeah, still still a coder at heart, I think. Yeah, that's amazing, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, obviously I, I didn't know that, and uh, the but but often they talk about the the, the lack of um, opportunity when when people are younger to get into it. What, why why do you think that was? Was it was there just not the the because obviously you were interested in it. it wasn't like you weren't interested in it away from work. So was there just not an opportunity there? Was it just not visible that you just didn't think that that was a there was a career down something that you enjoyed doing? What 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 do you think that what, what do you think was the barrier in, in stopping you doing it kind of first time around? So I think there was definitely I think there was a lot of bias when I was growing up of girls are artsy and boys are technical. So I think there was definitely an undercurrent. Yeah of women not really perceiving themselves in the STEM space. I think also in terms of tech education, the tech education at school was not engaging. It was, Mm. I I mean, in no way, I mean, during the 80s and the 90s, it it was actually less complex than things that, you know, people were doing at home. So actually education mm. wasn't actually keeping pace with the market and it actually didn't it didn't engage me at all. It didn't capture my interest um, at school versus other subjects. And I think as well, you know, the, the old adage of you've got to see it to be it. So I came from a family, a very large family, where actually we all did really traditional jobs. You know, my, my father's a, a, well, ended up digital switch engineer at BT, my mother was a teacher and actually all of my mother's family were teachers um, and all of the right. rest of my father's family were teachers and I, I won't I would give away the number of that. But actually looking towards our parents and looking towards our broader family, actually it was very difficult to see the types of jobs that were out there. So actually the whole world of work was a complete mystery. Yeah, I, I can I can resonate. I mean, I, I definitely remember doing technology uh, at school um, and it being pretty terrible it was almost like the worst the worst kind of lesson you went to like it, it, um so uh, i can resonate with that i think you you're right about having visible kind of sort of role models like i think that's uh, that's a massive thing isn't it um uh, and i think the lack of that then you, you it's always going to be you, you just don't know what the kind of what what is possible so 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 you obviously you went over to the european space agency over in italy so talk talk to me about a little bit about how that evolved because it it, it looks like you evolved away from the the kind of out and out coding into architecture relatively quickly, and, that, and that's kind of where you've spent a lot of the the last kind of fifteen years or so. So, did you always see yourself as more strategic than than purely a just a coder? If you see what I mean. So, I think my first experience in technology was working in a startup, which meant that genuinely you saw everything, you were part of everything. It was mucking. Um, so it, it gave me a massive expanse to the things that I got involved in and I really enjoyed it. When I moved into, I suppose, a traditional development role, I felt very back office. You know, mm. I would get workflow tickets that would come through and I would code them and I, I genuinely felt like I was locked in a cupboard. I really wanted with the next role that I found to really start to have more of that expanse, more of an appreciation of the whole, more of a sort of strategic view. And I remember sitting in in this development job, and I think development jobs in the early 2000s had a tendency to feel this way, 
But I remember sitting thinking that I need to apply for something else. I want more of a challenge. Seeing a job when I think I ticked off about 30% of it and just hitting the button anyway. And I think it's great advice for everyone. You know, do not apply for a job where you can tick, confidently tick all, you know, 10 things that they're looking for because you will be bored on day one. Mm. If you can do everything that the job requires on day one, you will be bored senseless. So push yourself. If you can do 30% and you know that you can and you've got the wherewithal to do the rest of it and learn the rest of it, then go for it. So moving into European Space Agency, really starting to get a bit closer to really that architectural view. So really seeing the whole expanse of their web domain, you know, understanding how it all hung together. And then really as I moved into roles, I was I was much more focused on what I needed and what I wanted. So I think I'd seen a bit of what I liked. Every job kind of got me closer to mm-hmm. architecture started to narrow my path into architecture. So I think it was inevitable that I ended up where I did. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's an interesting uh part of you mean I think that bit you said about seeing the whole the whole picture is uh is is really uh, a, a kind of I think a lot of people probably um uh, like that and uh certainly seems that development now is is uh is a bit more collaborative than it, it possibly was in the in the past. So so I guess, I guess obviously if we if we move this on to kind of where you are at the moment you, so you you've uh, you've just got left left the banking space after quite a bit of time in in financial services still kind of in financial services and insurance but uh, but a lot more specific now. Um what was the kind of catalyst for you moving on from uh, your last role and 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 venturing into uh, the uh, the wonderful world of insurance? I think really it was a number of factors. I think really I was ready for the next move. So really I I contracted for a number of years and I think when I went into the permanent market, I was suffering from a bit of imposter syndrome and I I undershot it, I think is the best way of putting Mm. it. I really felt I needed to do the same job that I was doing as a permanent member of staff. It was a really strange thing, really self-defeating thoughts. Actually, I worked with a mentor at the time to start to plan out actually how do I get myself out of these ways of thinking and how do I really accelerate my career. I think I kind of got to a stage where I want more and more and more. Mm. Um, and while the, the challenge I think in, in, in that West and that West payments was real and, and palpable, I still needed more. Aviva also is a company which genuinely I've heard such positive things about. Um, but with full disclosure, there's a member of my family who work for Aviva. And genuinely, the way that they've talked about Aviva through the years, about its social conscience, about how it operates as a company, you know, reflecting on it, I was like, I don't think I've really genuinely, consistently you know, had that belief in an employer you know, at, at any point in my career, and it, it really, really was something I was attracted to the brand that was Aviva and the employer mm. that was Aviva. So it felt like the right role, the right stretch, and the right place to really grow my career. Yeah. So tell us a bit about what's on the uh, on the agenda for you at the moment at, um, at Aviva. What's the the big annoying thing that you have to sort out as uh, as, as the first kind of you've gone through your first ninety, maybe one hundred twenty days now. So what does uh, what does that look like? To be honest, I think it's the same challenge that I faced walking into any large 
sort of incumbents in the market. I think it's the same challenge that anyone faces. So from the banking sector, it's fintech. Within the insurance space, it's insurtech and, and disruption in the market. I think the, the big things for me is how do we remain agile as an organisation and how do we continue to disrupt? So one of my strap lines and, and something that I absolutely passionately believe in is to create a legacy, you need to get rid of it in IT. So we have to get rid of legacy platforms. We have to modernise our estate. We have to really give ourselves a, an estate that is agile enough and responsive enough and easy to change enough to be able to give our customers what they need and also to keep pace with really competitors who in the insured tech market, dissimilarly from, from, I suppose, the fintech threat and banking, are not actually cannibalising a lot of the market yet. So I think there's still a huge opportunity to really pivot and become a more agile organisation to respond to actually how we address that whole insured tech threat and opportunity. Yeah, and do do you see that as the um, as the kind of the the biggest uh, kind of threat or the biggest challenge in the market at the moment is is just keeping up with that pace of change is with, with the amount of legacy that that is obviously already in place. A hundred percent. I think it's how do you maintain change agility when you are you know if I if I take Aviva as an example, but. You have 325 years in the market because you're really good at what you do. I mean, that's the long and the short of it. And we are a, a very successful company. We have legacy. Of course, we have legacy. Any company who's been around for more than 30 years has legacy. Ours is, is no worse than I think anyone else who's been around for anything, you know, upwards of 30 years. Is about how do you really create an estate that's easy to change, mm. right? That you can launch new propositions at the touch of a button, that you can be more dynamic and responding to market need, customer need. You know, that's it. I think that's the challenge right across the industry just now is how do you maintain change? Mm. What, what, do you, what do you think, uh, I'm going to ask you the, uh, the, 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 the big question, I mean, what, what's the answer? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think are the, the key things that you need to do in order to, to, to make that a reality? So I think for anyone in my position and anyone looking into a similar estate, and, and to be honest, they all look not that dissimilar, I think really it's about hollowing out the core. So it's looking at a lot of the capabilities and enterprise capabilities that sit within the core, and that's really from middleware down but how you strip those out and how you modernise them. Now, it's very easy, I think, when any organisation wants to be dynamic, wants to launch something in market, that actually what I see in, I mean, every organisation I've worked with over the last 10 years is what I call the inversion of the stack. So over-investment in digital, over-investment in front-end, in inverted commas, which actually creates an instability at the back. So middlewares are more under pressure than they've ever been, you know, more back-end processing with actually capabilities that have not been invested in in years. Mm. So really to get that front-end agility, it's not about bolting on more. It's not about adding more. It's about addressing really the fundamental things that give you speed. So hollow out the core, serious attention to really middleware, um, and integration, 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 right? So my 
I think my team at, at that Western Ocean, my team at Aviva are already sick of me saying good architecture is in the lines. Yeah. Right? It is not in the boxes, it is in the lines. It is how you integrate. So integration, so things like um, digital integration hubs, looking at really how we burn down batch patterns, how we move to event-driven architectures, but actually how we look at integration as a concept in itself. So one of the key challenges that we also have is how do we really talk about the really the economic impact or the financial impact or the change impact of capabilities that actually are incredibly technical, like event-driven architectures, you know, why do you need rabbit MQ versus a batch job? Why do you need to do something with middleware and mainframes? So really part of the challenges of, of anyone in my role is is how you sell the benefits and how you sell the benefits of things that feel pure tech um, and how you really create commercial relevance around, you know, things that, to be honest, we tend to, I think, across all industries, look at the cost of applications. We don't look at the true cost of IT. So I think surfacing the true cost of IT and really commercialising these capabilities, I think, is one of the challenges in, in anyone who's sitting in the role I am today. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, so I want to move on. As you know, this series of the podcast is uh, all about uh, women in technology and insurance. So um, we touched on it a little bit earlier about the the preconceived ideas back when you were growing up. But um, what, what's the what's it been like for you? You mean, obviously, you've been in uh, you've been in technology for twenty years now. I'm sure you've seen it change drastically. Kind of what what are your thoughts on where we're at at the moment and what we need to do and how, how's your journey been? Um, how has my journey been? I think through the years, um, there's been real evidence of being paid less than my male colleagues. I think over my career, mm. on three separate occasions, um, there have been various peer reviews um, that have shown me in evidence just how far away my salary has been from my male colleagues. And I think we, we still need to do more as, as, a, as an industry, and, and I think more broadly than that, to stop giving women offers out of the pink box. And, and really just get never really addressing historic pay inequalities and just paying people what we can get we can get away with because to be honest that is what mm. deepens that inequality in pay I, I think I've been lucky I think I've come into a lot of environments where there's been sort of suspicion of how technical could she really be and I think the very technical has been proved pretty quickly so a lot of, I suppose, some of the challenges that I've faced, I've knocked down those walls by being credible, by, be, by being good at what I do. That said, of course, I faced really, I mean, outright misogyny and outright outrageous behaviours uh, at various points in my career. Mm. And really at points in my career where actually I didn't feel empowered to challenge it. Um, as I've got, I suppose, older, more confident um, and, and to be honest, having more financial freedom, I feel in a better position to be able to challenge it, to be able to walk away from situations, to be able to really stand my ground. And it's something that I reflect on as a leader, is how empowered are people um, when they are dependent on a job and it's you know people who are living month to month. So yeah, I think it's easy to turn around and say, stand up and, and speak up. I think it's about creating the conditions for people women to stand up and speak up 
about the things that they are experiencing um, at work. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. There's been some fun ones, I think, through the years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good point, actually. Um, uh, and I've, I've, I mean, I, I guess I haven't really thought about it in the same context, but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier when you're a leader in an organisation, pay pretty well to to kind of, and you've got a voice, and people are going to take notice to to kind of stand up and uh, and stand your ground. It, it's it's a little bit different if you're kind of a couple of years into your career and. And 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 you, yeah, you need the job more than anything to to pay the bills, and uh, that that is that is obviously a slightly different dynamic. And uh, having people like people like having the platform to be able to speak up is is obviously key because naturally there's going to be more of those people around than there is ever going to be people right at the top. So, and and what so what and what's your view on kind of where we're at? Um, more specifically now in the insurance space, obviously you you've spent worked for quite a few different companies over over a, a 15, 20 year career um lots of them in financial services which ha- has its uh has its uh, uh, stereotypes for sure insurance uh, pr- probably is is another 10 years behind that in at least in the stereotype i'm not sure whether the reality is there but what's it been like for you since um coming into insurance um where do you think we're at you mean what what do you think needs to be done in order to try and get more people into the funnel at the bottom mm. So I think uh, there's definitely a focus on diversity and, and, and very much lifting women up, you know, so starting to get gender balance at board level and, and, and beyond that through the organisation. I think there's more of a conscious effort and a conscious conversation about that at every level of the organisation at Aviva and actually previously. I, I think right across the industry, I think the the improvement we're seeing an improvement, but it's still too small. I think it's we're not accelerating it fast enough. I mean, that said, I've been very fortunate that, that both of the companies that I've worked for, you know, Aviva and, and previously at NatWest, were both group female group CEOs. Aviva is now the only FTSE 100 company to have a group CEO, CFO and CRO, um, which is incredible. So we've now got 30%. 36% of the board and 43% of the group Exco um, are positions that are now filled by women at Aviva. So I think it's too slow because actually we need to really realise we are remediating for generations of inequality, but the commitment and the focus is there and I've, I've, we are genuinely talking about it as a leadership team. It's a massive focus for me in terms of you know how I create pipeline for women within architecture, whether it's solution or enterprise architecture, I, th- I think it's incredible. I think the focus at the moment now is is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting that. I mean, I'm, I obviously talk to people about hiring and, and, and alike every day. And um, it's amazing. The pace of, of, of focus, I think, is has been drastic, isn't it? In the last kind of couple of years, it's really gone to right at the top of the agenda. But but it, like you rightly point out, that you mean you've got 30, 40, 50 years, however long, of a problem that, that is not going to be sorted in, in, in two years, no matter how much you focus on it. It's it's uh, it's going to take a long time to sort out, isn't it? So so great. Well, look, I mean, that's good to, to hear about that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, what what I would uh, I'd like to just move on to is is just talk about. So we spoke about some of the problems in in insurance and 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 uh, and the things we've got solved. But what, where where do you see the where do you see the sector going over the next couple of years? What do you what do you see the uh, the, the the big things on the agenda and uh, specifically for you, but also the industry as a whole? So tech, tech, tech. 
So I think tech really is going to dominate innovation within the, the, the insurance space. So I think dynamic pricing is going to become more prevalent. I think actually really coming to the realisation that we are not the principal or primary journey. So embedding the insurance journey into principal journeys, like buying a home, like buying a holiday. So actually using open banking and open finance frameworks to really embed as part of lifestyle journeys. I also think what we're going to see is, and again through that lens of, of really tech domination, I think tech, how we differentiate on tech is going to be the massive theme um, coming up is actually how we get to real-time and near-real-time services, how we dynamically price, how we reach our customers. Absolutely. I think hyper-personalisation is going to be a, a massive part of a, a massive trend um, within the insurance market. I, I mean, it is today. I think it's going to become more pointed. If I look at those macro trends, so things like you know Web 3.0, etc., etc., I think there's getting the fundamentals. It's about being responsive. It's about differentiating on tech. It's about differentiating on customer experience. So those are the things that I think are really going to influence the sector. Okay, great. Um, so I always like to, uh, as much as talk about the, the the insurance stuff, I always like to talk a little bit about, find out about the actual person uh, behind the desk. So what, what uh, tell me a little bit about what Kira does away when she's not changing the world at Aviva and solving major architecture problems. What, what's, uh, what is Kira like outside of work and what's, uh, what do you do to, to relax, etc.? So I think not dissimilar to a lot of people um, in lockdown. So I did get big into wild swimming. Uh, I didn't. I didn't go down the banana breads, but I did get mad into wild swimming. So wild swimming has become a big part. I think of name terms with the um, the bookshop in Euston Station um, because I think I'm averaging about four books a week. And really, conversely to all of my other hobbies, um, so I do a lot of raspberry pie and a coding on the side, it crochet. So I'm a massive crafter, so I absolutely love crochet. So uh, Mark, if you're in the market for a blanket, keep me posted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I wasn't expecting that one. That's definitely uh, a new one. And, and look, I always ask the uh, the same same um, couple of questions at the at the end of the podcast, as you know, as we come to the end. Um, the first one is is what what is it you like? You mean I mean you've only been there for in, in back in insurance for four months, so this might be uh, it, it, you might love it more than now than you might do in a couple of years time. But um, what is it you love about the insurance space right now? So I think the thing I love about it. So my sister is an actuary, and we asked my nephew what what we thought his mummy did, and he said, "Well, you do hard sums." to calculate how much money people get when they've had a miserable time. And I think that's the thing I love about insurance is that insurance is there for people during really what can be the most significant events in their life, whether it's something massive and joyful like buying your first home. But actually the flip side is is that insurance is often there for when really bad and serious things are happening in your life and really how we support people through those moments I think is is why I love insurance and why I've enjoyed every stint that I've had in insurance throughout my career mm. so that's that's kind of what I love about what I'm doing just now is actually how woven that is in the fabric of society 
I think the other thing that I really love about it is I really love a big challenge. So I, I really, I am going to connect this. I, I want to create a legacy by getting rid of legacy tech. I want to hollow out that core. Um, I'm really looking forward to uplifting Aviva into a technically dynamic and more powerful estate that's not got, I suppose, the negative connotations of legacy. Mm. And is your, you I mean, I didn't ask this uh, before, but is, is your ambition to to kind of evolve into like CTO, CIO or something like that longer term? Or uh, you mean, would you, or do you want to stay in that kind of core architecture piece? Because I know it's, it is a, it's a slightly different type of uh, focus, isn't it? So I think for me, and again, if I look at, you know, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? I think I've always looked at, is this enough challenge for me? So next role for me, genuinely, it could be the same role again with an even bigger slate of programs, legacy. I don't know. I think the trajectory for me, I would love to move into that CIO, CTO role. I think, you know, whether that's next or whether that's after, you know, this role, I don't know. I think it's, for me, it's all about the size and scale of the challenge. You know, how much can I get my teeth into? Yeah. Yeah, and you mean going back to what you said about the helping people, I mean that's a that's a brilliant uh, line from your was it your nephew you said? Yeah, yeah, it's a br- that's a brilliant line. Uh, um but um but yeah, actually I, I had a conversation with someone the other day actually who just got flown home after some kind of really medical emergency with their their wife and and you just think that like and he was explaining how good they were at getting him back and, and and that like you mean foreign country things going badly wrong you kind of just need someone to come and help you out and without that you just wouldn't have it so it's uh, I think insurance gets a little bit of a bad rap sometimes but most more often than not it comes to people's rescue when they really need it and they so I think that's uh that's definitely a reason one of the big reasons I, that I love about it as well um so uh the next question is um what what is the best thing about being behind your desk right now I think it's the the, the whole opportunity of it so I have I've got the right support within the organisation. I'm working with an incredible leadership team. I've I've come into an architecture team that are genuinely incredible. The passion, the diversity within the team, the diversity of, of thought is incredible. People who genuinely care. So I feel really set up for success and I feel like I've really got the right team, the right support, the right culture around about me to really uh, to really make a difference I think that's the thing that's feeling really exciting about being behind this desk right now and so I always ask these kind of same six, six quick fire rounds just for a bit of fun really but the first one is what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without iPad iPad okay yeah I've had a lot of iPhones actually this series but not an iPad why, why iPad over our iPhone I think well actually it, it probably is my pen so I, I actually love taking notes with my um, Apple Pencil. So the, the combination of iPads yeah. and Apple Pencil, I think are my two favourite bits of tech. Yeah, it's the kind of old school meets new school. Do you do you use that uh, do you use that day to day at work? So you don't use any paper, you just use just use the, the iPad to take notes? Yeah, absolutely. The paper paper's definitely old old school. And yeah, I, yeah I am I'm addicted to the iPad eye pencil uh, combination is just yeah. That's my can't live without. 
Amazing, yeah. I mean, I've actually got one of those pens. I, I never use it, but I um, I have been kind of thinking that it would the amount of notes that I'd use in pads is uh, it's a bit old hat. So I should maybe start doing that. The the second one is what's the brand or company you really admire and why? So I'm going to pick two and kind of break the rules a bit. So one is yeah, uh, Planera. Uh, so Planera is a company started by a young woman uh, CEO. It's the first flushable biodegradable uh, sanitary pads. So it's yep. everything I love. Uh, young woman, bold, innovative, you know, massive ESG focus, just absolutely incredible. Um, I was really fortunate to be at the Asian Women's Awards recently um, and uh, had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Olivia Ann, like, incredible so just an um, so such an exciting brand soon to become the uk and the other one that i love is new bank um so brazilians have traditionally only been able to bank with a handful of large institutions so a real stranglehold you know highest lending rates globally so new bank is four years old in the market largest digital bank outside of asia at five million users offering really what is affordable finance um, into the Brazilian market, um, their tech is dreamy, I think is the best way of putting it. So some of their tech approaches have been just, yeah, incredible, really amazing. Amazing, yeah. Two two I hadn't heard of, so uh, I'll definitely look, at, look mm. into them. So this one could be, uh, given that you've just said you're a real bookworm, um, favourite business-related book? So for me, really anything by Patrick Lencioni, but I'm going to go with The Vantage um, by okay. Patrick Linsoni. So really, I think as leaders, sometimes we are too focused on the transactional. I think it's about really how we invest in culture, how we invest in becoming functional teams, how we invest, uh, invest in actually the things that genuinely give us competitive advantage. So I would recommend anything by Patrick Linsoni. The advantage, I think, is one of my favourites. Great. I'm going to check that out. I haven't heard of that one either. Um, so this is a bit off the, uh, I think everyone's got one of these off the back of lockdown. Um, f- favourite film or TV series? You can, you can have you can have one one of each if you, if you want. So uh, favourite TV series, I think at the moment, is Stranger Things. Favourite film is actually, it's a bit niche. It's a Mexican film called Kronos. Um, really good bit of a, strange vampire film uh, so I like a lot of yeah, right. quite niche cinema but yeah I'm absolutely geeking out over um, Stranger Things at the moment loving it the, the, to, to be honest Mika- Michaela who's my uh, my kind of lead researcher she would be absolutely amazing uh, uh, she'd be buzzing about that because she has been trying to get me to watch that for a good three months I think I've just got to the point now where I'm just being stubborn because she keeps asking me to to watch it but uh yeah there's a lot of people think it's good so maybe I will check it out well it's Michaela and I both you must (laughs) yeah yeah so to be honest without going off a massive Netflix uh tangent I've just watched it I don't know if you've ever seen Last Kingdom that's my that's my focus at the moment it's uh it's a bit of like a Game of Thrones type type thing it's not quite as good as Game of Thrones but but uh, I'm on that so I've nearly finished it but um once I finish that I'll, I'll take it check it out um the next one is if you weren't a tech leader so if you hadn't gone into technology um what what would you be doing now so that was quite an interesting question. I spent ages mulling this over, Mark. Um, 
So yeah. <laughs> perhaps, I, I don't know, I think either a politician or, to be honest, maybe running a cafe. I quite like a chain of coffee shops. So I don't know. I think I've got all of these different passions in life. So I think if I wasn't being a tech leader, I think I would either be in politics or I would be crafting till yeah, crafting till the day is long, whether it's baking or crocheting or yeah. So diverse set of skills. I'd have found some use for them somewhere. I was gonna say that I mean that they are two to, to, two totally different um different uh pastimes and uh and, and focuses, but uh I would I would stay out of the politics. Too much too much intrusion into the old uh private life for that, I think. But um uh, and then the last one, last last question, who who is your absolute number one female role model? So my number one female role model, Anne Bowden, Stanley Bank, no question. Um yeah. So I think there must be something in the water in Wales um, because obviously I currently have a strong, dynamic uh, Welsh CEO and I think Anne Bowden emulates all those qualities as well. Um, Started out in really computer science, bold, outspoken, creative, has genuinely created a brand and a a technical stack in Stanley Bank that is enviable so brave you know it speaks out within the industry i think there's been a lot of noise over the last five years around contingent reimbursement model and actually how is an industry in retail banking they are being taxed on on fraud uh, and fraud is crime and and Anne Bowden is the person who's got up and, and spoken out about it so yeah, I have to say she's um, my number one female role model, a um, bit of a personal hero of mine. So yeah, Anne Bowden. Yeah. Have you ever listened to the Diary CEO podcast with her? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. The last question I always ask someone, now, and, and uh, you can answer it, we don't have to, if you, it's totally up to you, but what what's the one question I should have asked you, but I didn't? So I'm going to go for what's the legacy you want to leave in this role? What do you want to leave okay. behind you? So tell me, what is it? So I think I want to leave. I want to leave an, an organisation that really can can turn on a tanner, right? Can change dynamically. Can launch propositions with you know ten days lead time. I want to leave an organisation that is technically set up for success and not just following, but starting to lead on the tech front, so starting to become, you know, really the name of innovation within the, the, the insured tech market. So no more following, let's let's lead the way. Fantastic. Well, look, that leads us right to the end. So uh, thank you once again. Thanks so much for uh, sparing the time. I know you're really busy. Um, really appreciate you, you coming on and, uh, and, and, and helping us spread the word of uh, inspiring female technology leaders. Um, so um, look, off the back of this, I'm sure there'll be some people that want to reach out, whether it be just to chat to you or connect or talk to you about coming to work for you or something something like that. So, I uh, mean, is LinkedIn the best place to get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, look, once again, thank you so much for being part of this. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, LinkedIn as well, e- equally for, for Kira. If, uh, if anyone wants to reach out, by all means do so. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks, Kira. All right, thanks, Mark. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.